back on Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. We're going to talk about the Bulls and Raptors uh, a little bit later on uh, in this hour as we get set for the Raptors and Bulls in Chicago. Raptors on the back-to-back following uh, their victory last night over the uh, Charlotte Hornets. But uh, in a couple of moments, we're going to hook up with our friend Kevin Weeks. He was on the show last week, but we're bringing him back again for uh, a number of reasons, but lots to uh, discuss with Kevin Weeks as well uh, when he again joins us on the line in a couple of moments. But uh, Jonesy, I know you wanted to hit on something before we got into our, our conversation with Kevin. Well, I was just kind of following up on Alvin. We were late. We were almost late getting to break there, and I, I wanted to follow up. Uh, Alvin talked about being from an era where if you wanted something, you worked for it, right? And, you know, and I can think of your parents, my parents. It's like before there was credit and, 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 and charge and layaway and all that, it was, hey, man, save your money, buy what you want, right? You, you, you kind of you worked for it that way. And a, a story comes to mind where um, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, a bit of a novelty where you got to, you, you were in school and you got to take take certain books home, right? You got to sign them out or whatever. And I remember one of our teachers once giving us, and I've actually used this with my class a little later, not as regularly as I should, but um, they gave us dictionaries, you know, paperback dictionaries, like the, it's probably like two inches thick and it was like a Webster's or a or one, uh, and and you it had a number on it and you you that was your number assigned and so you took your dictionary home and we had like word study and I remember being at home with uh, with, with sitting at the table with my, my with my dad and do, looking up these words and he was teaching me how to use the dictionary and the whole bit and my uncle who was a doctor was was there and he he cruised into the house and. And he saw my dad teaching me how to use a dictionary. And he said, oh, okay, good, good. He says, here, I want you to look up two words. And, and he said, uh, look up the word success. So I went to the S's and I was flipping the pages and I found it. And the, the big, long definition, he goes, put your finger in there. I said, okay, good. He said, look up work. So I put my finger in there and I flipped and awkwardly holding the book. And I flipped and I, and I, and I found work. He says, put your finger in there, too. I said, yeah, so, okay, well, I don't get it, Uncle Charles, I, I don't get it. He said, see where you have your fingers? Yeah. He says, see where success comes before work? I said, yeah. He said, that's the only place you're ever going to find it, the dictionary. Take your wow. fingers out and remember to keep working. I'm like, I got you. I got you. And I, I think I actually used that one year with my, with my, with my grade 8 class. I had a particularly... The group came in with a reputation of being particularly challenging. I won't say difficult, because in education you can't say difficult. It's challenging. They had, they had issues of challenge and communication. Translation, they didn't listen. So um, I think I used that with that class. Handed out dictionaries and did the old success before work. The only place you'll find it is a dictionary. That's so, good. To Al's point, to Al's point... Um, and that's why he's successful. And that's in a sense. And I know, E, you're celebrating 25 years and accolades and plaudits and, and, and good for you. But um, you didn't get any of that success before until you rolled up your sleeves and, and started grinding away. And I know uh, both Mama and Papa Smith are, are saying, well, that's how it's done. Good for you. You earned it.
Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Jones, and and, and you're right about that. And, and listen, I I was I was I I it wasn't dictionaries, but I was I mentioned you yesterday. I've been doing a lot of these these school chats uh, over the last couple of weeks and visiting with various schools. And and uh, I did one with a grade six class in Edmonton yesterday. It's the first time I've done one out of province. Um, it's been mostly you know southern Ontario and throughout the throughout Ontario. Um, just kind of checking in on classes and, and and how they're doing through the you know online learning and back in school and just kind of you know taking some questions and and just being a, a different voice than the teacher or the parent and, and trying to help out. So, anyways, um, the teacher yesterday before the class, he said. We're, we're doing a lot of math right now. We're doing some stuff on numbers. If oh, boy. any way you could talk about numbers, <laughs> I wrote him back. I said, I, I don't know how often you listen to my broadcast, but you're asking the wrong guy to ask about math and talk about math. But the little voice in my head, you know, popped in and was like, Jonesy, for years, talking to me. Not about uh, this. I think, that, I think that might be the first time. I've heard most of your stories multiple times because we've been working together for almost all of my 25 years. Damn close. I've heard a lot of your stories multiple times, but I don't think I've heard the work and success one. But I've definitely heard you talking about, and even recently, uh, talking about stats and numbers and how that can be related to math and problem solving in math to try and get through to some of those um, students that maybe the, the light's not going on. So I talked to the class yesterday. I said, my broadcast partner, my friend, Paul Jones, you know, like Fred Van Bleek goes four of eight. That's a fraction. Four of eight, that's that's a percentage. It's 50%. If a guy's shooting 42.3, that's actually 42%. But if it's 42.6, we might round up and say he's shooting 43. So you, your little voice and your, your analogies and your lessons of life and math were in my head yesterday as I was sharing them with this grade six class in Edmonton. So... Uh, even I'm standing. One of the other things I say too: be a sponge, be learning all the time. So you're still teaching me, and maybe that's a segue into our next guest. Again, I know he was on the show last week, but when I talk about to, to kids about being a sponge, it's everything. Be a sponge in life, not just in school. Be a sponge so that you're always learning and you're always improving. And your your when I say a sponge, it's your ears, it's your eyes, it's your it's your head. It's your heart. It's everything. Be open. Yeah. Be learning. Be conscious. Be aware of everything that's happening. And ultimately, be kind and be better and be improving and, and don't stop. And I, I, well, I, I don't know. Again, I think that maybe applies perfectly to what we're about to discuss. Well, and, and, and it's true, Eric. And this is something that, you know, we as a show on the group chat, we've always we talked about we wanted to get to, but we wanted to have somebody on who probably was in the life um, in that setting, and it's the it's the incident with uh, with uh, Jacob Panetta and and uh, and uh, uh, which Subban was it uh, Malcolm? Uh, George, sorry, Jordan Subban, and uh, uh, and and full disclosure, uh, the uh, Papa Subban Carl is a very close friend of mine. Uh, we were principals in the same board. Uh, we were all stars the same year in the OUA. Uh, we still talk. He's he's in a school right now, as a as a principal, even though he's retired, uh, giving back. And um, it's it's the one thing that you know we talk about it: head, heart, and hands. You have to live it. You have to you have to do it with your hands. You have to feel it in your heart, and you have to think about it. And and if you're dedicated to a cause, think about it. And this, the thing that bothers me most: I love the game of hockey, but the occasional racist flare-ups in hockey just upset me to no end and our next guest Kevin Weeks is on the line 
Kev, uh, I, I know you're working through it. You're 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 a, you're a minority in in many ways. You were when you're playing, even in the hockey broadcast world now. You're a minority. Um, how 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 are we how are we going to teach these lessons and get past, you know, some of this stuff that, you know, now Andrew Shaw is coming out and defending the actions of his cousin Jacob Panetta, saying it wasn't a racial gesture. Like how like like how do we how do we get around this? How do we teach this so that people have empathy, Kev? And and you were on the show last week, and I loved it when I'm telling you when you flipped your mask up at the end, and I saw. I saw a face from the hood. I saw Kevin as an NHL goalie. Like, that made me feel great. But I know there were some tough times in terms of acceptance for you in that venue. Thank you so much, gents. Uh, thank you, Jonesy. Uh, great points by both of you guys. You know, I, I would just start by saying that, um, you know, everybody's talking about mental health now. And it's a discussion point, and it's widely discussed. But interestingly enough, a lot of the people that are talking about mental health are pretty hypocritical. And I love the fact that the discussion is out there and we're trying to erase the stigma. But yet still, a lot of the people that I see and know that are talking about it are very hypocritical. And what I mean by that is they'll say that, but then they like to reduce and devalue. So reduce and devalue people. Reduce and devalue them because... Um, they their last name has more vowels than yours. Reduce and devalue them because they might be a different gender than you or your parents come from a different part of the city or country or world than you or they have a different accent than you. And unfortunately, it's good to be talking about mental health, but it's another thing to be negatively impacting somebody else's in, in, a, in a needless way. That, like, it's so frustrating and hypocritical, honestly. And there needs to be some real shaming for doing stupid things for no reason. Okay. So if I'm a goalie playing, and I said this yesterday on ESPN last night for our game, if I'm a goalie and I let in a goal from the far end, everybody's going to look at me like I have five heads. If I let in a goal from center ice, everybody's yelling at me like I have five heads. If I let in a goal from the blue line unobstructed, they'll do the same thing. Well, when people conduct this type of behavior, it's as egregious as letting in a goal from the parking lot, not actually the arena, but the parking lot. And that's the way it needs to really be looked upon because it's so unnecessary. It's so egregious. It's so embarrassing. As hurtful as it is for us that are on the wrong side of these incidents and people that are afflicted by it, those of us that are, it's more embarrassing on behalf of the person that is conducting this foolish behavior, that is exemplifying this foolish behavior. It's more embarrassing on their behalf. And quite frankly, to any of the listeners now, and if you're in that category, head to a mirror wherever you are at work or at home and ask yourself why. Like, why do you do that? Why do you think that way? Why do you behave that way? And who told you that that's, that's a good look? And that's a good way to conduct yourself. Because I'm telling you, I'm using the hockey analogy because I know all the listeners should be able to relate to it. If I ever let in a goal, I remember I let in one goal from the far blue line at Chesswood Arena at Bantam, play for the Toronto Red Wings in the playoffs, playing against Toronto Marlies. And I'll never forget how embarrassed I felt to let that goal in. I don't know how people act like this and they're not embarrassed. 
that's that's a that's a big part of this whole equation for me. You know, Kevin, one of the things that we've talked about. Um, myself and Jonesy, both on and off the air, and, and Jonesy, I can't even remember wh- how or why it came up. It might have been after the the you know the the first you know chatter of the of the incident last week. I'm, I'm honestly trying to recall what it was, but I know I've, I've used this analogy, Kevin, with Paul many times before, and especially mm-hmm. with Paul's years in education, and, and me, I'm, I'm a father of a 12 year old boy. You 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 look at most kids. I, I guess I sadly can't say all, but you look at most kids, whether it's kindergarten grade four whatever you take go to an elementary school and you see kids of all different colors of all different backgrounds playing with each other mm-hmm. and and you you especially young children i'm like very young children they're not talking mm-hmm. about their classmate and and who's got a different name or from a different country who's got different skin color. it doesn't matter they're just playing they're just kids they're just having fun and I, I, I can never and I've never understood or, or under understood or fathomed how it gets to a point when or why it gets to a point where something switches. It's clearly a learned behavior. It's a learned attitude because it's not something you're born with. Somebody said True. something to you at some point. Something got stuck in your head, and now you're carrying that flag, that terrible flag, on behalf of your mother, your father, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your neighbor, your friend, somebody that planted that seed Correct. in your head, and now you're perpetuating it. Yeah, that's correct. And a lot of this, you're right. A lot of it is, is relative to the people that you're around. And, you know, for those young girls and boys that don't necessarily know any better or they're in an environment where they, they can't necessarily discern, that's one thing. But as they get older and as they start progressing, you have to start asking yourself the hard questions. Like, is my aunt normal? <laughs> Is my dad normal if they behave like that? And do I want to be around them if I don't have to? Is this friend at school normal? Okay. Do they know how to behave? No. Okay. I don't want to be around them. It's pretty simple once you get older. But you're right. As for the younger kids, it's more challenging because they are, they're more subject to that environment. They don't necessarily have the tools nor the independence of thought and or the ability to you know, maybe live where they want or be around who they want and, and be selective. But as you get older... Um, you certainly have that ability. And that's what makes us even more embarrassing is because it's twofold. The older people are teaching this type of foolishness to their kids and or grandkids or nieces or nephews. And then that's kind of springs itself forward. And then those same kids that were taught start perpetuating that and exemplifying that behavior as they get older, more than likely. So, it all starts at home, and it all starts in your environment and the people that you're around. You know, guys, I'll give you an example. There's so many, and I'm not in a rush for this show. I'll stay on live for five hours. I'm going. I'm going. We can't to, afford that. I, I'm. I'll, I'll. I'll give you guys my ATM card. I'm going to. <laughs> last night I leave the house, and I'm going to do the game for ESPN. This is something nobody knows. I didn't even tell my fiance this last night or this morning. So. I'm going to the Prudential Center, which is in Newark, by the way. As I'm driving to the rink, there's a police barricade to off of Mulberry Ave to go to the same parking garage that a lot of the friends and family uh, of the players and the staff of the club use. And being a Devils alumni and having played for the Devils and being a league alumni and working for the league and working for ESPN and doing the game, I park there anytime I go to Prudential Center. So there's a police barricade there. 
So I'm on the phone. I'm trying to break some news yesterday. And I see there are a couple cops there. And I'm kind of flashing at them to let them know. And I'm waving at them. Now, granted, it's, it's evening time. It's dark. I'm in a dark blue car. And I happen to be a black man. So the visibility may not have been high for them. But as I'm waving, I, I kind of toot the horn a little bit. I'm waving. I'm trying to get their, their attention. None of them pay attention to me. Now, I've got to get to the, to the arena, inside the arena, to the broadcast booth, so I continue to proceed. But I certainly acknowledge them about three or four times. They don't do anything. I continue driving to turn right to then turn into the parking garage. This officer pulls up beside me with his uh, where are you going? Excuse me, sir. I'm just on my way in here to the building. I played for the Devils. I work for the league. I'm doing the game for ESPN Plus tonight. Uh, who told you you could go through there? Sir, I just want to let you know, sir. I try to acknowledge you. I know that you guys seem like you're in conversation. You're busy. Anytime police barricades are up, you don't drive through. Sir, I respect what you men and women do. I have family in law enforcement. My uncle in law enforcement is probably literally listening to this show right now back home in Toronto. I, I apologize. There was, you know, no bad intent. I'm just trying to get into the broadcast booth to go to work. You think I know who you are? I don't care who you are. You need to know who I am. Jeez. Oh. This is what he said to me, and I'm going public with this now. I didn't even say this on ESPN last night. So I said, sir, respectfully, I just want, I was trying to get your attention. I noticed that you all were in conversation. You didn't pay any attention to me, so I figured you're in, I didn't want to disrespect you. You stop when you come to a barricade. You think it matters if you're going to do the game? You think it matters if you played? I don't know. You need to know who I am here. I said, sir, I'm not trying to be confrontational with you. I'm certainly respectful to you. I'm just explaining to you because you asked me, so I'm just trying to explain to you. You think by sweet-talking me that this is going to make this better? Is that what you think, sir? I'm just trying to go to work. That's all I'm trying to do. The next time you see a police barricade, you better make sure that you stop and wait to be acknowledged. Okay, now hold on, guys. That's not it. Thank you very much, sir, I say to him. Sir, thank you. So I go to park in the parking garage. My stomach is already upset now, okay? Yeah. My stomach is already upset. So, So now I go park. I go to the same entrance I went to five hours prior for the pregame skate. I go to the entrance. I have my NHL credential. I have my ESPN credential. I get to the, to the same entrance I went to yesterday morning of the pregame skate. Uh, excuse me, sir. You can't come in here. Um, ma'am, I'm Devils alumni. Uh, I work for the league. I'm doing the game for ESPN. I was in here this morning. Sorry, you got to go to the next door. I go to the next door. Um, sorry, you can't come in through this entrance. I don't know who sent you here, but you got to go to the next door. Now, I was literally on the verge of writing Devil's PR, Pete Albutes, to tell him, Pete, what's going on? Is this normal? Did I not play for your team? Did I not wear the jersey? Was I not on this team when this very arena opened? Okay, so I, I, these are things that are going through my head now. So now I get to, into the security where I've been directed. This is the third point of entry for me now. Put my bag, my work bag, on the conveyor belt for the security. One of the gentlemen from the Devils there, hey, Weeks, you, uh, you doing all right? No, not really, but thank you so much, man. <laughs> go to go through the, the scanner. 
I go through the scanner. Excuse me, sir, is this your bag? Yes, sir, this is my bag. Um, can I see your credential? Well, I showed my credential at the door. That's why I'm here. Uh, so now I show him the credential. Both credentials. Uh, hold it, sir. So the, de- the same guy from the devil has to get up from the table and come over. Uh, he's okay. He's okay. He's fine. He's fine. This is before I get in the arena where I played. In Newark, New Jersey, does anybody understand the demographics of Newark, New Jersey, and how many people of color live in Newark? And I played for the club. And by the way, not every one of these people that were trying to make it so difficult for me to get into the building, not every single one of them was a white person. This was my experience going into the arena to go call a game. So now I finally get in there. A gentleman escorts me up to the broadcast booth. And my stomach is upset. And quite frankly, here's the kind of the moral of the story. Literally every day I talk to my parents, my mom will always say, remember, you're black. Remember. <laughs> remember, you're black. Conduct yourself a certain way. Remember that. You don't have any, you don't have yep. any margin for error. Yep. And I'm a 46-year-old yep. man. Is it like, is it, so, so if you're asking about the temperature of things, and certainly in, in life because it's a societal issue, but if you're asking about it as it relates to hockey, this is me as a 23-year-old, 23-veteran-year man in the National Hockey League between playing and coaching, uh, broadcasting. And this is how I was treated yesterday. And the world didn't even know about it, but you do now. Hey, Jones, let me just quickly just say one quick thing before yeah. you jump in. And I, I'm sure it probably goes without saying because it's probably pretty obvious, especially to the both of you and, and so many people listening. Kevin, you yeah. and I are the exact same age. I'm 46. Right. I talk to my parents regularly. Not once has my parents ever said to me, hey, when you're out there today, remember you're white. Not yeah. once. Right? Like that. It, yeah. it's, no, that's it, true. I mean, it goes without saying that it saddens me to, to hear you say that. And that, that still to this day is a daily reminder because it's something that I have never had to deal with or think about ever. Well, sure. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and say this. Uh, I'm lucky still to have my mom around at 94. And it's not daily, Weeksy, but probably once every three, four days, maybe once a week, I mm. get it in Patois and Jamaican. Conduct yourself, you know. Exactly. And, and that's like, that's the reminder, like, hey, uh, you know, you're, you, you need to be in a certain lane and, and, and a certain way. And, and Kev, I want to bring this back to hockey. Yeah. You know I'm a Leaf fan. I love the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But why does why does the game why does the game come across as exclusionary and yes. and arrogant and yes. uh, not all welcoming at at times? I, I don't I don't get it. And, and it, 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 it's a lot with ways. black players, Kev. Kev, it's a lot with black yeah. players. But it used to come across that way with European players too. Like, oh yeah. yeah what is it? What happen. is it about the game? That, that's been that's been allowed. That that mentality has been allowed to happen. I mean, there were people saying that on TV. There were people parroting that on TV for fifty years, and allowed to. Like, what other sport in the world are you allowed to do that on? You think you can do that on an NBA broadcast? You think you can do that no. on? You think you can do that on an NFL broadcast or Major League Baseball broadcast? Like, there have been major repercussions for the people that have done that on those sports. And unfortunately for our sport, it, I mean, people, there were certain people that were celebrated for acting that way and for speaking that way. 
and behaving that way and spreading that on a weekly basis and paid exceptionally well for doing it too. So it's that. How do we change it, Kev? How do we change it? How do we change it? the, The solution for that really to me lies in the solutions for all of this. If I start at the grassroots level, it's my same conversation at any arena. Arenas are gathering places. They're community centers, which is why they're called community centers in a lot of cases. Right? So at the local arena, at all local arenas, Anybody that conducts themselves that way will be banned from the rink. So whether you're a parent, which it typically is, whether you're a young player, whether you're a family member, an official, a coach, whoever it is, you'll be banned from the rink and suspended by said league. That's the first thing. Once you get to higher levels, OHL back home, major junior, um, junior B, college, tier two, whatever it is, the exact same thing. Once you get to college, U.S. college or pro at any level, as we saw with Jordan Subban the other day and Boko Mama at the ECHL and HL levels respectively, the exact same thing. At the NHL level, the exact same thing. Zero tolerance for that. Very, very swift, very punitive. And quite frankly, that really needs to start with the people in senior leadership and the people mm-hmm. in, in, in league positions, top league administrators, league officials coaches, general managers, that it needs to start with them because they have the wherewithal and the ability and the authority to be able to make punitive decisions for this type of misconduct. And it starts with them, respectfully, to all of them. And I I talk to all of them and many of them on a daily basis. But it starts with all of them. It's okay to talk to me. It's okay for us to have a relationship. But it's another thing when I'm getting a banana thrown at my head in the playoffs. And I'm having people say racist things to me and my parents are there and, you know, my family's there, my significant other's there, my sister's there, whoever. And they have to sit and hear that. And more importantly, you know, certain things that I'll get on on social, on Twitter. So it's not about being divisive. But you have to acknowledge, like I say, you have to acknowledge when your behavior is so horrible that it's the equivalent of letting in a goal from the parking lot. You have to acknowledge that. You can't blame the Zamboni driver for that. And the same thing here. I notice in these instances, a lot of people are going to bat, well, it wasn't that serious. Well, we didn't really, whatever. Uh, Listen, man, that's never a good look. And racism, not only is it bad for people and bad for communities, it's horrible. It's a horrible business strategy. Horrible. (laughs) You look at the most profitable companies in the world. You look at Apple. You look at Google. You look at Tesla. You look at these companies. Last I checked, their products were everywhere. I mean, I love hockey, but it's not that sweet to where it's going to be exclusive because you have to come from a farm to play or come from a rural area. It's not that sweet. Like, it's not changing the world like like an iPhone or an iPad for somebody using it in a medical application or a scientific or a military application. Like, we love the game. I'll forever be grateful to the game. You hear me every day. I'm on TV more than any hockey analyst in the world. I'll always advocate for the game, but in the spirit of authenticity and being factual, which I strive to do on both, I can't sit here when these things happen and, and continue to wax on about our sport. I, I can't. I, it's, I lose credibility in doing that. And more, more importantly, the human experience of being dehumanized or devalued by a writer, by uh, a TV network. There's a TV network that I worked for in my TV career that asked me to take a 75% pay cut on my compensation for the playoffs. Who does that? 
They didn't ask any of my colleagues to do that. Who does that? And they didn't do it one year for the Stanley Cup playoffs. They did it twice. Twice. And they never asked any of my colleagues that aren't on the same color wheel as part of the color wheel as me. They never asked them to do that. Who does that? Hmm. Like, how is that even possible? Like, it, it would, these are things that nobody should have to go through. They should never have to go through them. I had a TV executive say to my agent, he doesn't have the options. Where's he going to go? Year and a half. As one of the stars of that show, a year and a half was my contract negotiation. And had not for my agent, it, wouldn't have, it would have never gotten done. Like, these are things nobody should have to necessarily go through. And you shouldn't have to. I don't want to hear any of the listeners out there, and I know, unfortunately, many of you have, but you shouldn't have to go through these things on a go-forward basis. They're very upsetting. You know, and uh, the context of this, for a person of color myself, it's filled with barriers, difficulties, stigmas, you know, and until we get past this culturally and policies and practice, we'll never move forward as a sport. Like I get a call weekly about this for parents whose kids play minor hockey. I mean, at some point I can only defend the sport so much, right? Like, you know, they, they have options and the sport has to love us back too. Like they have options. You know, for a lot of parents, if, if I'm going to pay $15,500 registration for my, my son or daughter to play elite, uh, I don't know, man. I could take you to Fairview Mall and buy you two pairs of Jordans or buy you some Ronaldo soccer boots and or some baseball cleats and a Derek Jeter Rawlings glove, and we're kind of good to go. I don't need to go through that mm-hmm. if it's a more welcoming environment, you know, or go get some cleats and be the next Donovan Bailey yep, or Andre DeGrasse. Like, that's kind of where we're at right now. And, and that's, it's a really critical juncture for our sport. And just remember this, and Jonesy, you'll know this. For the listeners out there, I saw when the Raptors, and Jonesy, you're one of the voices of the Raptors. I saw when the Raptors won the NBA championship. It gives me goosebumps talking about it. I'm not even on the team. Do you have any idea... How many times in Toronto and how many times in Scarborough, the custodians at schools and Jonesy, you have an educational background. They took the rims down outside so we couldn't play. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is Uh, this normal? And when we played street hockey, nobody complained. When we played rollerblade hockey, nobody complained. I saw it literally at Percy Williams Public School, ironically, named after the late, great Percy Williams, Canadian sprinter, behind my parents' old house in Scarborough. They put the rims up. We had rims for six weeks. Six weeks later, all of a sudden we go to ball, rims are gone. Why? Uh, too much noise in the neighborhood. Too much noise. noise. Yeah. Yeah. Too much noise in the neighborhood. We play in that same teacher's parking lot with rollerblades and sticks and a street hockey ball. Too much noise in the neighborhood. Next thing we're saying, we're saying we the North, we the North because the Raptors win. And it was only because. Mayor Tory, at the time, there was some kids at a park downtown off Queen Street, I think, and it was on Twitter where they went to go play after the Raptors won. Of course, they're inspired, they're motivated, all these things. And quite frankly, next thing you know, one of the custodians or the, one of the park officials was trying to take the hoops down again. And it was put on Twitter, and I mentioned it, and I saw Mayor Tory, where he weighed in. And after that, to his credit, uh, that can no longer happen in the GTA anymore. You know, and by the way, that's with 
a black general manager and team president mm-hmm. in Masai Ujiri, who, quite frankly, some people at his own company didn't want to compensate and didn't want to pay him fair market value on his current contract. All he did is, I mean, I, I'm always going to respect the Leafs. I'm a Toronto kid. But they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 67. I, I mean, last I checked. I saw Cito and, and, and Joe Carter and everybody that were part of it in the, the mixed diversity that the Blue Jays had on their runs. Last I checked, and Cito was the manager. He should be under a lifetime contract from, from there. Lifetime. It shouldn't even be a question. Yeah. Right. So that's that's kind of where we are. And, you know, I'm just giving those examples because I know a lot of people back home can relate to those. But for a lot of the listeners, you know, I want to see if you think of the you think of the names, you think of the names of kids. And I I don't I don't always want to just limit things to back home, but I know it's relatable for a lot of the listeners there because geographically they can, you know, these things resonate with them. But when you start looking at the last names of people, Ricci, Italian, Stamkos, Macedonian, Devontae Smith-Pelly, fellow Caribbean. You start looking at these people that, that have won cups and some of them, you see they're, we're in different parts of the color wheel or, or the race um, kind of demographic or the sexual orientation or the gender or wherever it is. Like, you know, we want, it, we want this sport to matter to more people and we want life certainly to be safer for more people and be more inclusive and really cast a wider net for the best of the best, not discontinued mouthpiecing thing of just trying to have a false sense of ownership of the game. That's one thing at home that we're doing. We're not doing the right job of. If you keep saying the game is ours, well, who does ours represent? Like, who does that actually represent? You know what I mean? Like that's that's part of the problem. Let me ask you, let me ask you on on that point. You've just, you, you maybe have just answered this to, to some extent. Um, Jonesy and I have been calling Raptor games together for, what, Jonesy, 16, 17 years we've been broadcasting games. I, I, yep. I, I look out in the crowd, and, and you just noted it in the championship run. I see a lot of diversity. Uh, I see a lot of different backgrounds in the crowd. We still aren't seeing it reflected exactly. as much as it should be. We're still not seeing it yeah. refle- reflected as much as it should be in management and coaching, but it's certainly okay. better than it is in, in hockey. And listen, we're talking about it in football right now. If I'm not mistaken, currently there's yeah. one man, Mike Tomlin, in Pittsburgh. That's it. Hopefully one. that changes in the offseason. But again, there's in nine spite jobs of all the blemishes. Open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see how many of those nine, right, are, 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 are filled um, and who fills those roles. But, and again, I, don't, I, I guess I'm guilty, Kevin, of maybe piling on hockey, but it's a hockey story right now. No, That's no. why we brought you on to it, discuss yeah. this. How does totally. it change then in hockey, like when to see a black man or woman coaching a team, uh, general manager of a team, president of a team, let alone the people in the league offices? Something we've been discussing, Jonesy and I, for 25 years, reflecting in the offices within broadcasters and 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 in, in this country as well. People that used to say basketball's never going to stick, basketball's not going to fly. It's a fringe sport. This is a fringe team. Nobody cares about the stick. Raptors. That's All right. this stuff. How's that going to change in the NHL? They didn't want it to stick. That's the problem. That's what I'm telling you. The sport was being devalued. It was being devalued. And listen, we can't just idolize, you know, people like us when when we win. You need to welcome us from all angles. Foster our inclusion in the sport. From fans to families to players to coaches to executives to parents. Like, you have to foster that. And, And quite frankly, guys, you know, I can say this respectfully too, like, 
I've been a part, and Jonesy, you know this too, and some of this yeah. has been public. I, I've I've been interviewed by some clubs in the National Hockey League for executive positions. And, again, last time I checked, I played with Brendan Shanahan. Shanahan's the president of the Leafs. I played with Sheldon Keefe. Kiefer's coaching the Leafs. I played with Ronnie Francis. He's a GM of Seattle. I played with Ronnie Brindamore, best coach in the league right now. He was coach of the year. Won the Jack Adams last year. Kevin Adams in Buffalo. Played with us in Carolina as well. I mean, I can really go around the horn of all these people that are in all these roles. Scotty Walker played together in Owen Sound. He's assistant coach at Bruce Boudreaux in Vancouver. I mean, Andrew Burnett, we played together in Owen Sound. He's head coach of the league's best Florida Panthers. Like, unless my former teammates have more arms and more eyes and more limbs and more brains than I do, which I know they don't, and I love every single one of them. I'm so pumped to see every one of them having success in their area as they are for me in television. But based on some of the experiences and some of the interviews, <laughs> like I, I'm sometimes a little bit dumbfounded by some of the some of the instances. I had one instance where the team president of said club on the business side showed up 20 minutes late to the interview, and then uh, a member of that, the ownership's family, <laughs> yeah, and then a and then a member of the ownership's family. A son of the owner showed up 35 minutes late. Like, who does that? Is, is that a thing? And, and it's almost as though in that space, in certain instances, and not every, I've had some really good interactions with certain clubs in the process, but on some of them, it's, it's more of a quota thing. And it's more of a box-checking thing to say, hey, well, we interviewed diverse candidates. I mean, yeah, it's one thing to be intentional to get the person in the interview, myself in this case, or another female candidate or another person of color or something of that nature. But ultimately, like, do you really have intention of hiring any one of us in that role, in those roles? That, that really is the question to your point. So it, it takes an ownership group that's, that's really genuine and not necessarily performative. And that's really open-minded to say, Hey, you know, I, I want like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and more importantly, for a lot of you that don't know, like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, the Lightning have a, a diverse team and a diverse staff. Their goalie coach happens to be black from, from Quebec. He went to call a university in New Brunswick. And he's helped create the best goalie in the planet in Andre Vasilevsky. And uh, uh, the only person I ever hear mentioning his name, France Jean is his name, is me. I don't know. My boy Sudzi mm-hmm. Maharaj from back home who was my personal goalie coach, and he was with the Islanders for years. He's now in Anaheim. He's got John Gibson, who's one of the best goalies in the league. How many all-star appearances is this for Gibby now? Three. And Sudzi's a fellow Caribbean, Trini, Trinidadian Indian, from Etobicoke, slash now Oakville, slash Anaheim. I don't hear anybody mention Sudzi's name that often. There's a couple writers, but people don't mention his name. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. You know, that's kind of where we're at right now if we're being honest and objective. So, but tying it back to the Lightning, this group has won two cups. You've got Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world. He's won the Vesna. He's been nominated, what, three or four times? And you never really hear Franz John's name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And their video coach, Nigel, is still in Tampa, who's a Jamaican from Winnipeg. 
does an amazing job. And Nigel's won three rings in that franchise, going back to their one with Brad Richards and Vinny Latavia and Marty St. Louis, my former teammates there. So it, it, it really is about open-mindedness Kip. to take things to the next level across the board. And yeah. it's really important. And, and Kev, I want, I want to jump in here because I know yeah. when my parents came from Jamaica, when my there was nothing, there was nothing like a Saturday night in our household. My dad had exactly. the only, he had the only TV in the hood and his, his no. admission was you can, you can come and watch the game on Saturday night. And when I was younger, <laughs> the games didn't start till eight thirty, because right, We right. had to listen to Foster Hewitt for the first half hour on the radio before the game yeah. actually came on TV. And yeah. his only admission was, yo, if you're coming to my house, bring me a drinks, bring, bring a beer. <laughs> right. Exactly. Know, so bring I can something. have one with you. Yeah, and I'm telling totally. you, uh, as 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 a growing up in an immigrant family, as many yeah. families, whether they're native mm-hmm. Canadian or, or mm-hmm. or or, you know, have their roots here or from anywhere else, in mm-hmm. in this country, there is there was nothing like a Saturday night, when the game was totally. on, and I and and I know it was the same in your household too. The boisterous celebrations when there was a goal. Like that was yeah. if if there was social media, those things would have billions of views, because totally. people come come to Canada in particular, and yeah. hockey is the game, and you're you're taught the game, you're almost totally. indoctrinated into the game, and you love it. And I love the game, but I don't love yeah. that side of it where there are there are those kinds of things. And and my son played, and I was always leery of it. And things that yeah. I heard in the arena, it, it, it made me uncomfortable. He had to stop because of concussions. But yeah, I think I he could have been me. a really good player. It, it could, he could mm-hmm. have, and there was part of me that said, you know what? I'm okay that he's picked up basketball and volleyball. And I don't know exactly. why that is, but, I'm, but I, that bothers me. I totally understand why, Jonesy. Like, you know, that's, you mentioned being indoctrinated into the game. Like when we lived down in the old neighborhood by you guys there, at St. Clair and Christie before we moved to Scarborough, like, that was it. That was it. That was the thing. That was the thing. Vaughn Road, Greensides, St. Clair, whatever. Christie, we were playing street to street, street against street. We yep. used to play behind our building yep. at the time. And literally, I was just tang- tagging along with my older cousin and his friends just to be around, just to be in the flex. Like, Hillcrest Park. Christie Pitts Park, when they used to flood the Hillcrest Park, now it's a dog park in there and where they used to put the rink, which is another combo. But um, at least Christie Pitts was just down the hill. You know, like I can go up and down. That's That was it, going to Dominic's Variety Store to buy my hockey cards and my hockey stickers. And at the age of six, Miss Mahar was my teacher at McMurray Public School. My first book I wrote was about me playing in the NHL, six years old. That's the power of hope that was the power of audacity that was the infatuation with the game and that was yeah the the magnitude of what i wanted to accomplish and i knew that at six years old and through the trials and the tribulations and um the adversity at times being unwelcome people saying racial epithets at tournaments and things of that nature i saw a mom and dad that worked for 40 years no complaints, no anything. Yeah. Nothing free, no entitlements, worked overtime to make it happen. 
and then you're treated like this in the game. Like, how does that happen? And more importantly, at 46, how is it still happening to kids that are six and eight and 10 and 13? And certain NHL players now and certain people and certain fans that try to go into a building. Like, how is that even a thing? Like, how do people not look in the mirror? And no disrespect, but how do a lot of our leaders, or as they're called, in the game not legislate the fact that this can't happen anymore? Like, my dad's going to freaking Chesswood Arena on a Friday night. I don't play there anymore. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm in the NHL, bro. Like, why are you going to Chesswood still? I like to go there and talk to the parents and uh, try to pass it along. But, yeah, but if they're going to be mistreating me, don't go there. If there's other girls, Indian girls and boys that are playing, you know, Italian girls and boys that are playing, Russian, Jewish, whatever, and they're getting mistreated, don't show up. Like, I'm here. You're, I'm bringing you to NHL All-Star Weekend. It's a National Hockey League that every year, except for this craziness with COVID. But Stanley Cup final every year, it's around Father's Day. I have my dad with me. Like, and he's going to Chesswood? <laughs> and the GTHL isn't, isn't doing more to protect kids and families from these things when they're happening? That's not normal. And that's only out of the goodness and selflessness of his heart. It's no different yeah. with Mr. Subban. He doesn't need to do this. Like, we're already here. We've been here. I just did PK's game yesterday. We don't need to do this stuff. You don't need to be as, how can I, as selfless and advocating as much as we do for the game. But we do because we love it. But as I said, at some point, the game has to love us back in a way, and society has to as well. And you know, there's, As I told you guys, man, there's things that I've experienced that I don't want any of you to have to experience. Going, going back to last night, even here in Newark, going to call an NHL game for ESPN. And you know the irony? Then I go on the air at 630 with my former teammate, Ryan Callahan, who happened to be in the studio in Bristol, and Arda O'Kell, our host, who's also from Scarborough, who went to Malvern. And I'm talking about this yesterday to the world. I, and people didn't even know what I went through to get in the building. Like, they didn't even know what I went through. I drove home after the game, went to our production truck, talked to our producer. Nobody knew what happened. As I said, I, I literally now, my fiance's hearing this for the first time. Got home, talked, joked around. We're in the middle of a move. Today's day one of moving into a new home. Like, I didn't even tell her what happened. This is the first time she heard. I talked to my parents last night on the phone. They didn't know. And I'm literally sharing this now. This was my experience yesterday. Kevin, listen, man, we, we appreciate that you shared it with us. We appreciate your honesty and, and your time, especially apparently now on a day where you're moving and everything, uh, everything else is going on in life. Um, uh, we have to go. Otherwise, we would keep chatting. Um, thank you again sincerely for, for being so open and honest with us. And uh, hopefully it's a conversation we don't have to have. But sadly, I think we all know we will. And we'll keep having the conversation and look forward to actually speaking about the, the sport and the games, but, but also keeping this conversation going for as long as we need to. Thanks again. I appreciate you both so much, man. And thanks to all the listeners back home. Keep your chins up, keep your heads up, and let's hope that we can kind of foster a new path that has been long overdue for us to really commit to. And uh, hopefully some of those lockdowns can can subside. I know it's a really difficult time for people back home and their businesses and loved ones and a tough time. So giving everybody a big virtual hug right now. 
Keep keep at it, Kev. We're proud of you, man. We're really, guy, especially to us in the hood, man, seeing you up there on TV. And like I said, just same way as when you used to lift your mask at the end of the game, man. Very proud of you. Keep going. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a long, slow process, but we only fail when we stop. So, so keep at it, and we're, we're right there with you, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you. There's Kevin Weeks from uh, the NHL Network and ESPN as well. Uh, folks, we had to shift things around today. It was an important conversation to have and to continue to have. So we went a long time with Kevin. As a result, we're ending, well, technically a little bit early because we got to make up some time. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. We will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. with another edition of Smith & Jones. Have a good one.